0: We're going to be learning about relationship and how um, the New Covenant is not just a system for keeping rules. It's a real relationship with the living God. Um, You guys have all heard the very common Christian expression, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. Well, that's absolutely true, and it's very, very important, but you know what happens when we go two or three days without really connecting with God? It becomes religion for us. Our relationship with God gets, uh, it gets dead. It gets dry, and it becomes religion so quickly. I find in my own life, it becomes religion just so quickly. So how do we keep it from becoming dead religion, just something we know that we do on Sundays? We get dressed up, we come into church because it's our duty and it's the right thing to do. God says, if you're doing this because it's the right thing to do, get out get out. I don't want a situation like that. I'm going to remind you first of a story of the prodigal son. You guys remember him in Luke chapter 15. He, he said, uh, dad, I wish you were dead to give me my inheritance now and let's act like you're dead. And dad says, wow. Okay. I love you, but Wow. So he gives him his inheritance, and the son takes his inheritance and goes to a far land and sins and sins some more, and then he, re- he's, he loses all his money, and there's a famine in the land, so he's feeding pigs, and he thinks to himself, the servants in my father's house have it better than me, so I'm going to go home and just ask to be a servant in my father's house, because at least I would have food to eat. So he goes home, and as, he, as he's coming home, the father's looking at him, he sees him, he loves him, he runs out to him, and he hugs him, and he's putting a robe on him and a ring on his finger, and his son is trying to say, dad, 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 I just, you know, I'm, I'm so, I, I did so many bad things, and I just want to come and be your slave, and the dad doesn't even listen to him, the dad says, I, am, I don't want to hear this. You are my beloved son, and I'm just so happy you're home. And he's putting a ring on his finger and a robe on him, and he just accepts him. And then he starts throwing a big party. He gets all his friends together and throws a big party. Then the other brother comes home, the other brother that stayed and has been working for his dad. And that other brother gets really upset with the the dad and says, Listen, I've served you, and I've worked for you, and I've done all this because it's the right thing to do. I've done it. I haven't done the stupid stuff my brother did. I didn't reject you. I haven't been a sinner. Why don't you ever throw a party like that for me? And the dad says, I have always loved you. Everything I have is yours. But your brother was dead and now he's alive. And it's right to celebrate. It's right to celebrate. That First son, when he came home and he said, I'd like to be your slave, I'd like to work for you, that father said, I'm not listening to that, I don't want that because I have another son who's already doing that. The son who's doing it because it's the right thing to do, the son who's doing it out of obligation, the son who's doing it to earn a party from his dad, those things are not what God was looking for. That's the lesson of the parable. God was looking for the one who would just come and accept the ring and the robe of blessing. That God wanted to shower blessings and love and relationship and party with his son. God wanted to party with him to enjoy fellowship. The first son spent all day working hoping to earn some sort of relationship where the second son or that I had him switched around. You know what I'm saying. Right? You guys get it. I love that story and it really helps us understand what relationship looks like. Let God love you. Let God love you. Let God put a ring a ring on your finger and a robe around you. He surrounds you. He hugs you and he parties with you. He says, "I am so Happy to be your father. So that's the heart and essence of relationship. So let's begin looking at some of these verses. We're going to cruise through them. You have the paper so that you can study it on your own or go through it with a friend. I would encourage you to do that. Uh, Ephesians 2.13, But now, but now, in Christ, you who are afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You guys remember what, What was the price? What price did Jesus pay to give us the new covenant? His blood was the price. He said, This is the new covenant in my blood, which is given for you. And so he says, That blood has taken you from being far away to being near, no matter what you feel. I don't feel close to God. I've done so many bad things, or I've, 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 I just don't feel his presence. I don't feel his hug. I don't feel him near me. I don't care. Your feelings are wrong. Because if you believe in God's blood, in the, in the love that he showed you with Christ, you are near no matter how you feel. And I'm yelling this because I'm so excited about it. Because the devil is doing everything to try to convince us that that's not true. I don't feel close to God. I didn't read my Bible today, and then I said a bad word. So God must be far away from me. But that is not what the Bible says. The Bible says, in Christ, where is your sin? It is gone. It is dead. And you are not far from God. You are near to God. But we don't believe it. We believe the lies of the enemy so fast. And we say, oh, I got to be in timeout for a little while. I got to just mope around a little while because God's angry with me because I'm angry with myself and disappointed with myself. So God must be disappointed in me because he has such a higher standard than I do. And that's not true at all. That's not the gospel. The gospel says you have been brought near. And why did he bring us near? Because that is where you have a close relationship. It's hard to have long-distance relationships. Anyone have a long-distance dating relationship when you were? You guys did it? It's hard, huh? It stinks. And Jesus uses the same language to describe us and him. He says, guys, I like to snuggle. I like being close to you. God's new covenant of grace changes our relationship with God from distant to close And we're going to find that the New Covenant is always pushing us towards relationship. And a lot of us find that really uncomfortable because relationships are difficult. And we've been hurt by relationships. And so a lot of us have a lot of walls up between us and anybody. And so the idea that God wants to break down all those walls and just be constantly in our business is uncomfortable. But again, God says, I don't care if you think this is uncomfortable because we're doing this. Because you're my child, I'm your father, we're doing this. If you don't want any part of me, you don't have to have any part of me. You can go your own way, but child, I love you and I'm in. I'm in for you. I'm, I'm on, I want to be in your life. And so we see the term in Christ. In Christ. You guys ever heard, you, you've heard that term many, many times. We find that it's in the Bible a ton of times in Christ. And that is going to be really important for us to understand because in Christ is the place we find this relationship. It's a really good description of this relationship being in Christ. Let's look at our next verse in uh, Ephesians one seven. In him, that's in who? Christ. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So that verse just simply says... Our relationship with God started by being in Christ. When we believed that Jesus was, died on the cross for our sins, you were placed in him. So when he died, your sin died with him. When he rose from the dead, you rise from the dead with him. You get the new life that he got. So you are alive in Christ. So what does it mean to be in Christ? Because we toss that term around, in Christ. How do I get in Christ and how do I remain in Christ? Let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 22. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. This verse shows us two relationships, in Adam and in Christ. And you guys all have a relationship with Adam. And I think almost all, if not all, of you have a relationship with Christ as well. The relationship we have in Adam is that we inherit his resources. We get, we can do what Adam did, um, and what did Adam do? He failed. He tried and he failed, and he failed and he failed. But he knew how to work, and he worked hard, but he still failed. And that is what we inherit. The ability to fail, the ability to rebel, and you got all of that wonderful stuff by being born. Your relationship with Adam is through birth. It's through birth. You get his name, his identity was passed through all the generations to you, and you are a son of Adam. Son of Adam. And you are just as much of a rebel as he was. That's a bummer, right? And the only result for being a rebel is what? Death. Death. That's just it. And there's nothing we can say about it or do about it. But there's so many philosophies that say, well, if you just empty yourself of all of all of that rebellion, you can be a good person. That's what the Buddhists teach. But how can I empty myself of what I was born into? It's impossible. It doesn't work. You see, the only solution for this is death. But we have a relationship with Christ as well. And the relationship with Christ is one where we can inherit his resources. Adam gave us his of rebellion and failure. And Jesus gives us his resources of submission to God, submission to God's will. Trusting God and a spiritual life that is righteous. Instead of a spiritual life that rebels, a spiritual life that's righteous. And that's what we get, we we inherit from Christ by new birth. Both of them have to be by birth, but the one with Christ is by new birth. And the only result of the life of Christ is going to be life. So this is all about relationship. And what, how did we get reborn? How did we get reborn? By faith. You heard about what Jesus did and you believed and that faith placed you in Christ. God's power picked you up out of the mire and put you in Christ. And no longer are you a descendant of Adam, Spiritually, you are a descendant of Christ. That is your heritage and your where you get your resources. So this is all a promise that does not fail. He says, All in Christ shall be made alive. That means God shows no partiality. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done, you can be made alive in Christ. And you can receive his life. We can offer this gospel to every human being, no matter what they believe, no matter what they've done. They can receive it. That's how powerful this gospel is. And I want a really great illustration for what this looks like, this relationship. What does it mean to be in Christ, and how do I remain in Christ? Think of a baby in a mother, in the womb. That is a relationship that is pretty much as close as you can get. The baby exists in the mother. The baby draws its life from the mother and that is what being in Christ is for us we exist in Christ we live in Christ and our resources flow from Christ have you ever noticed how many of the bible how many times the bible says we are in Christ we're kind of developing what that means right now let's look at galatians 6:15 for in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. And this means that in Christ, there is no sort of performance or lack of performance uh, shiv- uh, measuring if you're more in Christ or less in Christ. Is a baby ever somewhat the kind of in its mother's belly? If it's a really bad baby, does he get expelled from the mu- No. It's not aliens. <laughs> okay, so what this is saying is there's no human circumstance like, like your success or your trying hard or your failure that is going to affect your standing in Christ. The only thing... That matters is new life through new creation, and that's what this new covenant is. God is giving you a new life, and he calls it a new creation. So we have been made new creatures in Christ, a new race with a new identity, with new access. You are not a human being anymore. You are a child of God in a human being's body, and you became that the moment you believed, you were born again as a child of God, an heir to his throne, a brother of Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel declares. Now when the angels see normal humans, they're like, ew. But when the angels see a believer, they see something so glorious. That they, It causes them to worship God because what they see in you is God's very own spirit and the glory and the brightness of God's spirit. They see it in you. And what, is, what do angels do with God? They serve. So you, your relationship even with angels is completely different when you've come to believe in Jesus Christ. Your position, you were, you were a little lower than the angels as a human but you get changed, and you are the bride of Christ, and now they delight in serving you. And I love that little picture there. He says, circumcision or uncircumcision doesn't matter. What does that mean? We use those words in there. It was just a law, and it was a law where people said, if you're circumcised, that means you did something to show that you are committed to God and God's ways, and you did something hard, you did something painful, You paid your dues. And Paul says here, that don't matter. It does not matter. What you need is not to pay your dues, but it's you need to be made alive from the dead. And that's what Jesus offers you. He says, I I don't care how hard you try. I don't care how much you give. I don't care how many dues you pay. I care about you and your life and i want to give you my life i want to make you alive a new creation ephesians 1:3. he says blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in christ do you see what tense that word that that verse is in it's in the past tense which means it's already done. He has blessed us with how many spiritual blessings? All of them. So why are we working harder to try to earn his blessings, to try to get more of his blessings? Old Adam is living. Old Adam, we go back to it. We fall back to that way that we're not even alive in that way anymore. He's not our parent anymore, our great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great father. But it's hard to believe that he is dead, that our relationship with him is dead. And so we go back to that, but he says here, I have already given you this. Every blessing heaven can give to man is already yours. But it often feels, doesn't feel that way, it feels like we're really distant from God and we're not experiencing his blessings and we're, we're calling out for God to send us blessings. Bless me, bless, oh God I need you for this and for that. And that's a good attitude to have, but we got to understand that God has already said yes. He's already said yes, and in Christ is where we have these blessings found. It's, it's, an, it's an account that God has given you a debit card. and every moment of your life, you decide what debit card to pull out. And you either pull out your debit card that has your name on it, and on the back it says Adam's name on it, and, and you pull it out and you swipe it, and it comes back declined because you're poor spiritually. And so what, is, what happens when it's declined? That's when I'm a jerk. That's when I'm not patient. That's when I'm not loving. That's when I don't have the fruits of the Spirit. My spiritual life is lacking. So get this. That's our choice. What debit card are we going to pull out? Are we going to pull out hey, the one that says my name and Adam's name or am I going to pull out the one that says my name but has the bank of Jesus on the back? And he says that debit card is loaded with all heaven's resources. Everything that you could ever need to honor God, serve God and do what God's will in this life has been provided to you through the debit card. And how do you pull that debit card out? Through relationship with Jesus Christ. You say, Jesus, I'm broke, and I need you. What did Jesus say? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall use my debit card. That's what we're saying here. How are we going to ever understand this? We have to pray. Prayer is the way that we understand this. Paul prays in Ephesians 1.18, just a little past what we just read in Ephesians one three. he says that he prays that the eyes of their understanding being enlightened, that they might know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of this debit card, of the glory of the inheritance in the saints. Only children get inheritance. Only adopted kids get an inheritance. In this prayer, Paul says, only God can reveal to you How much is loaded on this debit card? We have to see these wonderful things. And when we see how much Jesus has done for us, we will be blown away and we will start to wonder why we've ever trusted in ourselves. Why have I been living a life where I constantly swipe my own debit card and then I constantly fail? My patience is short, my love is not sincere. Why have I been doing that when Jesus offers me all of it through that humble, dependent relationship with him through his new covenant? Isn't this glorious? All right, Ephesians 2.10, Paul continues, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He says the word created, which speaks of a new creation. Didn't we just talk about a new creation? We are a new creation. And it's his desire. He created us from nothing. And it's his desire that we work through his new life, not through our old life. And this is where we're always kind of camped, is if we are trying to do God's work, But with the old life, we are going to end up tired, burnt out, frustrated, and failing. But if we are trying to do God's work through God's life, we are going to be humbly saying, God, I can't do this, so God, please help me. We will be waiting upon the Lord, and the result is refreshed, restful, and spiritually empowered ministry and life. And that's where you guys all self-assess what is going on in my life? and What do I feel? Do I feel tired, burnt out, and just done? Or am I spiritually being refreshed and renewed day by day in my inner man like Paul said he was, even though Paul said, I, I work harder than all of you, but I don't work at all because God does all the works through me. Colossians one twenty eight says, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ. And this refers back to uh, the verse right before it, uh, Colossians 1.27, which says that the, the great mystery of the gospel is that Jesus is in you and he's the hope of glory. So what is the message that matures Christians, that, that brings us to maturity? It is not the law, but it is Christ in you. And this in Christ means a relationship with Christ. Paul is saying the craziest thing in the world and the the thing we need to preach about is that Jesus and you can have an intimate relationship. You are not called to be a missionary, to be a pastor, to be anything where you're working for God more than you're called to be his child. Intimate with God. Praying and listening to God. There is no higher calling. And every pastor who forgets that eventually crashes and burns. And every Christian that forgets that eventually crashes and burns because we are not built to do things ourselves. We're not. So let's look some more about Christ in us and then we're going to look at the same idea us in Christ. We're going to see how these two things work together in just two sides of the same coin. John six fifty six says, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. And this sounds really weird until you read verse 35, which says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who Believes in me shall never thirst. So eating and drinking his blood and body sounds super strange, and it did, but that's because they were forgotten already what he said in verse 35, which was, that means that you come to me and you believe what I say. So coming is like humility, right? I I, I acknowledge that I need you. I'm not all right by myself. So I have to come to you, and then number two, I have to believe what you say, and that is faith. And we always talk about humility and faith. We see him right there. And he says, how easy is it for us, for Christ to be in us? How easy is it? What do you have to do? It's as easy as eating and drinking. Who has a problem with eating and drinking? Who just is like, ugh, I have to eat again. (laughs) Every day, same thing. (laughs) I have to eat another meal with my loved ones and family. Ugh hate this all these tastes are bugging me like this doesn't go that way eating and drinking is delightful it just is and that is the exact illustration jesus says is what a relationship with jesus is a relationship with jesus is supposed to be every day multiple times a day and such a blessing and it will make you fat. <laughs> Jesus says, I am sweeter than honey. My words are sweeter than honey. And when you taste them and when you eat them, you're, you're showing humility by coming to me. I need your words, Jesus. You're showing faith by believing the words. And those two combine to make a relationship with Jesus that is real and that provides everything that we need for our whole life life. John 15 says, abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit, for without me, you can do some things. What? Oh, did I miss that? Thank you for correcting me nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. Without relationship with me, where I am abiding in you, and you are abiding in me, which is what? Eating his words, believing his words, coming to him and trusting him. Without that, Jesus says, your life is pointless. I don't care how many orphanages you start. I don't care what ministries you do. If it's done without me, you don't even get credit for it. But guess what? You could do nothing externally, and just say a few prayers, but it's done with true faith in Christ, you get blessed and rewarded for faith and accounted righteousness to your account. It's, it, it is, God's economy is so much different than what we think. It is not logical. Because logic would say, the one who works harder gets more. And that is true in this world. You work harder, you get more. But that is not true with God. And our story about the prodigal son proves that. Because the second son worked harder and he made fewer mistakes, but he missed out on everything. He missed out on relationship because relationships are not built with hard work. They're built with humility and faith. A relationship is not built with a a list of rules saying, Okay, we're gonna get married. Imagine this, imagine a wedding. And they're they're doing their, their vows. They say, I promise to love you, cherish you, and never love anyone else. That is my list of rules, and I will keep it. And they go home, and the husband says, Wait, wait, talking to you was not part of the deal. (laughs) Listening to you was not part of the deal. I love you, but do not talk to me. Do not speak to me. Is that relationship going to be blessed or fruitful? No. No, not in any way, because that's... Not a relationship. And he's technically keeping the rules. But those rules are creating him this confidence. I'm doing everything right. And 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 it keeps him from relationship. He's thinking that keeping the rules is what he's supposed to do. And that's how this works. So what does it mean to be in Christ and Christ in us? That's just a nebulous idea and it's kind of weird. Uh, my parents do a lot of scuba diving. And sometimes when they're scuba diving, they get... Um, Uh, attacked by sponges. Actually, sponges are pretty slow and they don't really attack things, so that's not true. But sometimes they see sponges. Sea sponges. They see sea sponges. (laughs) And, And when they see a sea sponge, it is in the water. But if you take that sea sponge out of the water and you squish it, what comes out? Water. So the ocean was in the sponge and the sponge was in the ocean all at the same time and that's like what an abiding relationship with jesus christ looks like we are in christ through faith christ is in us by his power and the relationship we we have with him is something we call united closeness united closeness just toss that word around in your mind you you're not close like a buddy You're united. You're not two separate things. You are one thing. You and Christ have been united by faith. So your death is in him and he took care of it. His life is in you and you are living it. And that's how that works. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What do I do in this verse? I just, I just get to live. I have faith and I get to live. What he has done is what this verse is all about. I live and I trust in what he has done. And that has to be our daily experience, our daily trying, you could call it. You can't try harder and succeed in the Christian life, but you can pursue this, what he has done and trusting it. Go for it. Dive into that. Seek it with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Trust in the gospel, not, your, not yourself. That's what that verse says. And f- so this requires humble, dependent faith in that Jesus is who he is, that he that does what he says, and that he has made himself available to you. And so what that means is that this is faith. And, and faith is a relationship reality, or I like to call it a relationship, uh, relational reality. Faith is a relational reality. Faith is not a religious term. Faith is your interaction with a real person. The typical Christian says that they're trying their best to be a good Christian. How many of you heard that before? How many of you said that before? I'm doing my best. That's all God could want, right? My best. No. Your best stinks. Your best doesn't even compare it with the Jews. The Jews tried their best. And what did that turn out? How did that work out? They became Pharisees, lifeless and dead, because us trying our best stinks compared to God's effort, God's work which Jesus gave us. So when we say, I'm just trying to do my best for God, we're saying, Jesus is not important for me because I have all of this to offer. Look at me. Look at what I can give and I'm sure God will be impressed with me. I can guarantee you he is not. And I don't care what you have done and how many little, little ladies you help across the street, you are Awful compared to God's holy standard. You fail and you're like, I hate this church. All he ever tells me is I'm awful. I'm sorry. But Jesus is glorious, Jesus is perfect, and his life did please God. For God literally ripped open heaven like three times, said, This is my beloved son. I'm well pleased in this guy. Listen to him. Do what he says. And he says, trust me, live, let my life live in you. Trying always shows a self-source. And what do we always say? Trying is the worst four-letter word in a Christian language, right? It makes, makes no sense at all, but that's on purpose. Because we should not say try. And we catch ourselves saying it all the time. And that's good. I want you to be like, wait, what did I just say? Try oh that means self-sourced, self-sourced, and that is not how spiritual life works. Now, it is how riding a bike works, and it is how taking a test works, but that's this world. We're talking about the real world, the spiritual world, where trying does not matter. Neither circumcision or uncircumcision uncirc- avails anything. You have to be a new creation, we read before. So trying always shows self-source. Instead of a self Produced life, we need to have a life that is his life lived in me, given to me for free because I cannot produce it on my own. How great is that? Galatians 4.19, my little children for whom I labor in birth until Christ is formed in you. Paul is talking about his ministry, and he's saying, I do ministry, and it is real hard. It is real work, but it's not the type of self-sourced work we're used to seeing from pastors and churches saying, you know what we're going to do to, to, to do God's kingdom and to make things happen? We're going to do this job and this job and this job. Paul says, my work... It is like the pain of a loving mother who is enduring many sorrows in the process of giving birth. Is it hard work to give birth? Yeah. But how much of it are you doing? Ah, It's going to happen whether you try or not. It's, it, you're going to give birth. It, it is kind of a natural thing as well. And Paul says giving birth... is what ministry is like. You love people until it hurts. You serve them, you love them, and then what happens is that Jesus' life appears in them like it was given birth, like birth happened to them. And he wants to see Jesus coming alive in people. And new life always happens with birth. And he says, my labor is to see this birth happen. We aren't trying to see people more or or see our personalities more. We want to see Jesus living through us and living in people. He must increase and we must decrease, right? All right. So we got just a few more things here. Romans chapter five or 17, we're going to be looking at another relationship term called through Christ. So we've looked at in Christ, we've looked at Christ in us, and now we're going to look at the final one, which is through Christ. For if, by one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will, re- will reign in life through the one, through through the one, Jesus Christ. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to the eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He says through the one, Jesus. A victorious Christian life where you're free from life dominating sin and you're really rolling with jesus it comes through relationship with jesus just like and he says it's 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 pretty reliable it will happen just like if you're living through adam you will fail and die he says look at how reliable that is and that's how reliable jesus is on the other side if you live through adam you fail and you you stink being a christian and if you stink being a Christian, you're living through Adam. There is no other reason. Because Jesus is so reliable because it's his word and his promise that declares this. And does he ever lie? Could he lie? Could something he said ever be untrue? No, he will fulfill what he has promised, which means new life and freedom from sin is a guarantee when you are walking in Christ, when you are living Through Christ. What does it mean to walk through Christ? You stop every moment and say, Jesus, I need you and I trust you. It's a a continual attitude of the heart, not, not even necessarily stopping and saying those words. It's what my heart really thinks. I can't do this. And I need you and I trust you. That's the heart that we need to develop. And it's given to us. 1 Corinthians 1, I thank my God concerning you for the grace of God, which was given to you by Jesus Christ, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and knowledge. He says, by him or through him, grace comes from him and through him into our lives, he said. And it, it, this relational connection will really change how you speak and how you understand. There is nothing, you will never convince someone to follow Christ. You will never convince someone to stop sinning. The only thing you can do is introduce them to Jesus Christ and help them get to a point where they will call out to him because that's the beginnings of a relationship and God will fulfill his part of the relationship with us, which is what? He'll answer and he'll do all that they have asked him because his son has promised that. And that is how our relationship begins and how it's also supposed to continue. I know we're going long, but we're going to keep pushing on just a minute here, okay? You guys with me? No, anyone want to give up? Tap out. Okay, all right, I, I warned you. Philippians 1, 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So all fruit in our life, spiritual fruit, He is the source and supplier, and this is the way God loves it to be and God wants it to be because God is a good farmer, and we are not, and God knows how to produce fruit, and we don't, and fruit is a living development. The fruit of a plant is supposed to be alive. Can you produce life, spiritual life? Could Adam produce spiritual life? No, so we can't either. But God, through Christ, does produce spiritual life. And what does that look like? Love. Love. And all the fruits of the Spirit that describe love, patience, peace, kindness, long-suffering, etc. Ephesians 3, 17, That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in what? Love. Love. How about that? When Christ dwells in your hearts, then the fruit of that love is love. Jesus loves us, dwelling with us, hanging out with us. Why? Not because he likes you, but because he loves you. And that love grows down and then produces roots, and we're grounded in that love. And then what's produced in our life? His fruitful love comes out of our life. You didn't make it happen. You didn't do anything to become the loving weirdo that you are. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> you simply invited Christ to live and dwell in you. Had that relationship that was real and that relationship did all the work of producing his fruit. Love it. All right, so how do we grow in relationship with God? If all this is about relationship. And if all of my life is relationship, how do I grow in that? And that's called getting to know God. John 17, 3 says, This is eternal life, that you may know the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So basically, he says, all of eternal life is not going to be playing harps and making music for Jesus. It is going to be growing in more relationship with Jesus. That is the point of this life and the next life, all of it is not about working, not even about partying, it's about knowing God and that relationship. So Philippians 3.8 says, Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for who I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish or trash that I may gain Christ. And some of us in here are super smart and some of us are not. But it doesn't matter with God. Because God says, all that knowledge is trash compared to relationship knowledge with my son, Jesus. He is more valuable than all the treasures in all the world, than all the knowledge in all the world. It doesn't matter if you don't know my son. He says it has surpassing value. It is excellent, the Bible says. The most valuable issue in the whole world is knowing Jesus. So we preach the gospel To everyone and we invite them to know jesus we say read the word study the word come to church and learn the word because it is what eternal life is founded on it is what eternal life is ephesians 117 that the god of our lord jesus christ the father of glory may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him This just shows us that God is the initiator of this relationship. It wasn't even dependent on you. If you're here today and you're thinking, I'd like to know God more, guess what? You didn't come up with that idea. God says, I put that idea in you because I love you. Nobody says, I want to know God on their own in that way. God says, I put that curiosity in you. I even brought you some pain in your life that would get you to start asking some questions like, where is God? How could God do that to me? And then when you ask those questions, I know at the beginning it gets you to some tough answers, but at the end you get to Jesus Christ on the cross, and you say, you know what? What happened to me is not that bad, and that is what I did deserve and I'm not getting it because of his mercy and his love. So ask every question, pursue every doubt to the end of its logical course, and you'll end up at the cross where Jesus erases them. Jesus takes them, and he says, yes, your life has been awful. Yes, you have suffered, and you can ask those questions. Now look at me and watch it all wash away in his love and in his grace. You guys believe it? I do too. Second Peter 3.18 is our last verse. It says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What is another word for grace? New covenant. And he says here, Grow in the grace, the new covenant, which leads to knowing a relationship with Jesus Christ. This has been a study on the relationship aspect of the new covenant. How it is a relationship. And this relationship will give glory to, to God forever and ever. He loves this relationship, and it glorifies him when he has a relationship with you. When he says, you're my son, you're my daughter, God loves that, and he is most happy about that. He's not doing this reluctantly. And he will keep putting the desire in your heart and the questions in your heart until the moment you die because he does not want anyone to perish, but he wants all to come to eternal life, which means know his son. There is no eternal life outside knowing his son.